I want, I hope personally that you have been personally challenged in just your personal walk of prayer, your time spent in prayer. Uh, we went over uh, the first two parts. Prayer is request from a humbled heart. Uh, Brother Eddie Solis shared prayer is the heartbeat of our Christian walk, which is a great thought. Prayer is the heartbeat of our Christian walk. And tonight we're going to be talking that prayer submits us to God's will. Prayer submits us to God's will. Luke 11, 1 through 4, which has been our text for the whole series, uh, NASB says this, It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation. As we talked about before, prayer is a huge subject, right? We talked about, like, in comparison to the idea, the metaphor, or the analogy or example of the ocean, how you begin walking into the ocean, right? You're on the dry sand, and then you're on the wet sand, and then you're in a little bit of water, and then you can go way out and get fully immersed. And this is the idea of prayer. We start to understand it. We walk towards it, okay? We walk into it. But it's a huge subject. We haven't gone through everything. There are more topics, more things you can read about, more things you can learn about. But in this series, the goal is to present Scripture that in turn you can apply to a real-life, everyday context. So the goal wasn't just to share things with you and you'd be like, oh, that's good, never mind. All right, I forgot. The goal was this, that you would walk away with the understanding of what prayer is and how it's applied into your life. Okay, prayer should be part of our lives. If you're here and you're a Christian, it should be an integral part of your life. Okay, questions about prayer are normal. Let me say that again. Questions about prayer is a normal thing. If you, if you have questions about prayer, that's a good thing. Don't feel like, oh man, I don't get it. Everyone else gets it, and I don't. It's a good thing. To have questions is normal. You have to understand there is a fundamental understanding that is pretty accessible in reading your Bible. So if you have questions, I would say the first place to start is your Bible. Okay, And then we come together, we talk about different things. But for most of us, to actually pray is abnormal. It's, it's a challenge. It's difficult. It's outside of what we're used to. It is completely normal for this, right? It is completely normal for it to be a challenge initially. I say that initially, when you are first walking with the Lord, when it's your, you, know, you're, you, you don't know the Bible, you're still learning how to be a Christian, initially, it should be a challenge, and it is a challenge. But if you've been a Christian for some time, it should become a discipline, it's a discipline. It's something that you do. Something that you do outside of your feelings or emotions. Prayer is done outside of our feelings and emotions. Okay, because what happens is sometimes we don't feel like praying. <laughs> sometimes you just don't feel like it. You know, so maybe you're angry. You're just like angry. And someone's like, let's pray. And you're like, I don't want to pray right now. You know, you're just angry, right? Your emotions can, can become some, such a dictator of all of your doing, all your actions. Like, it's something like, uh, uh, you know, the emotional response where sometimes you can even get mad at God. I don't want to pray right now. God, I'm angry at you. 
right? That you don't want to pray. And your emotions and feelings can begin to dictate your spiritual walk. So what I'm saying to you is the mature Christian prays outside of the feelings and emotions. It becomes a discipline. Martin Luther said this, the great reformer, right? The the reformation of, of the church happened through this guy, Martin Luther, and he says this, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Think about that. His setting was this, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Most of us, okay, cannot view it that way. Most of us look at it like this. We think, that prayer is if I have time. Okay, that's, what we, that's the way we view prayer. Martin Luther, who was somebody that accomplished much for the Lord, said, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. How many of you have ever done that? Looked at your day, the next day, right? Looked in your calendar and said, man, I have to go to work. I got, you know, my normal eight-hour shift. I got to go do this. I got two more hours here. I got another hour here. I'll be home. I'll go to work at 7 a.m. I'll be home by 10. And then said, so I got to wake up at 3.45 to pray. Most of us are like you're hitting the alarm, the snooze button until it's like you have to absolutely get out of bed. But I'm saying to you that Martin Luther said, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. He prioritized prayer as a discipline. The discipline of prayer is that we do it outside of our emotions and feelings. A quote that is something that I've walked with, that that has been a challenge to me and a conviction. The prayerless Christian is the powerless Christian. The prayerless Christian is the powerless Christian. You can walk around and wear a cross around your neck. You can have the bumper sticker fish on your car, right? You can wear all the gear. You can say it. You can walk into a restaurant. God is good, you know, all the time. And that's all you do. And the prayerless Christian is the powerless Christian. You know, when, when something happens, they're like, what do we do? And you're like, I don't even know. Aren't you a Christian? Yeah, pray. I don't know how. <laughs> the prayerless Christian is the powerless Christian. There are just things in the natural that we begin to question because we're ignorant on. We're ignorant on some areas. Okay, there are some questions that can be brought up. For example, most of us have a simple question of what do you even do with your body? <laughs> How are you supposed to pray? What do you do with your hands? You know, do I have to play music while I'm praying? Do I have to wear special clothes? Do I have to face a certain direction? Do we have to ask for permission to pray? You know, simple questions. Do we have to be loud? Do we be quiet? These are questions that may come up because a lot of us, prayer is such a foreign thing. We've only seen it or heard it from the people we've been around. Now, I'll I'll give you this. Um, This was from a guy who'd done a lot of research, but he uh, literal, not not postures of prayer spiritually, but literal postures of prayer. So when people ask, how do I pray? Should I stand? Should I sit? This guy looked it up and said, well, we see that in the Bible, there are at least four ways that people prayed in the Bible. The first one was sitting. Okay, that's from 2 Samuel 7, 18. King David exemplified sitting in prayer. As scripture states, then King David went in and sat before the Lord. So sitting, you can sit, right? We see that in scripture. Bowing, Exodus 34, 8. Moses bowed to the ground. You can bow. 
kneeling. Daniel 6.10, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed and lifting hands. 1 Timothy 2.8, therefore I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands. So we see that there are literal postures of prayer that the Bible teaches us that, that that's how people prayed. So we can automatically say that we can pray like that. That's not confusing. So if you're like, man, what do I do with my hands? Well, Scripture said lift them up, right? You can lift them up. You're like, well, I don't, when do I do that? I don't know. That's on you. <laughs> That's your private prayer time. <laughs> but I'm just saying to you that things can be awkward. Things can be hard. Things can be a challenge because you're ignorant on it. And the more you walk into it, the more understanding you have. Now, the truth is this. Some of us can go for a walk and pray. And we can do it great. We literally have the best moments with God while we're walking, right? Some of us can go for a jog. We can go for a run, like an actual run and pray. For me, myself, I haven't run in quite some time. <laughs> but when I used to go, I loved it. I would run and pray. And I, it was my time with God. You know, some people drive and pray. They literally get, get in the car, they drive and pray. Just don't close your eyes. <laughs> You're like, like, Lord, you know, and then, oh, man, Lord, what you doing? He's like, I, what did you close your eyes for? <laughs> No one told you to do that. So I'm just saying there are some things that we do, and prayer is not something that is um, a rigid structure. You can only do it this way. Prayer is accessible. That's the thing that is awesome and amazing. Every single one of us can pray. There's no, there's no hierarchy. All of us should. I would even encourage you at, at points in your week, even in your day, get on your knees and pray. Why? Because it's so weird, and it humbles you. When do you get on your knees? You're like, well, I get on my knees to clean. No, you don't. We, we've seen your house. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, I'm just kidding. I'm joking. I'm joking. It's a joke. It's a yoke in Spanish. No, I'm just kidding. That's not Spanish. Prayer is accessible. It does not require a specific place and or setting. It doesn't. It doesn't. We will read that further in Scripture. Prayer can be quick and in your heart and in your head. You know, I'll give you my example of moments when I've had conversations that I knew were going to be difficult. I knew someone sat down in front of me and I, and I was like, I don't, I don't want to say the wrong thing. So in that moment, I prayed, Lord, help me. Some of the simplest prayers that we all can do, Lord, keep my mouth shut. Because <laughs> sometimes that's what we need to do. We need to be quiet and we need God to help us. And you pray. And you sit down and you ask God. It can be quick and in your heart and in your head. And you pray for wisdom in a hard conversation. You pray for peace when anxiety starts to creep in. Most of us, or I would say, statistically speaking, a lot of people struggle, struggle with anxiety. And those moments when it begins to creep in, we can begin to pray and and, and that's what I'm saying. Like, this is something that is accessible. Prayer is far more about the heart than the setting. It's about the heart. Prayer submits us to God's will. That's why it's something that prayer is such a big deal. If there's any scripture on prayer that is sometimes under-communicated, it would be this one in Luke. In Luke 18, chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, it says this, to some who were confident of their own righteousness. Hmm. It's quiet today in this Presbyterian church. No, I'm just kidding. All right. To some who were confident of their own righteousness 
and looked down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. So he's speaking to a specific group of people right here. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, who was the educated, knowledgeable, respected person of society. And the other, a tax collector, who were the worst of the worst. The Pharisee, in verse 11, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. <laughs> and I think this is hilarious. Like, this is his prayer, okay? God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. <laughs> I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. So here's this guy praying. Okay, one of the, the most spiritual things we can do. And in his prayer, he's prideful. He's prideful. He's literally saying, I'm not as bad as this one over here. <laughs> I know none of us have ever done that. It's, it's the church down the street who judges others. <laughs> but what I'm saying is Jesus had a point to make here. He's talking to these people, and he's, he's explaining there's a Pharisee, and he said this prayer, and I give a tenth of all that I get in verse 13. But the tax collector, the tax collector, the worst of the worst, stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast basically his chest, and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And this is something that is under-communicated in prayer, because most of the time, we, I'll, I'll say this, having been in church for decades already, you see that some grow prideful through prayer. It's like, you know, let me pray, you know. Maybe somebody's up there praying, and they're, they're, and they're just like, let me show you how. <laughs> you know, it's like a pride. It's like, let me understand. Let me, let me show you. I'm Yoda. You are learning, right? <laughs> this, and, and you present this thing. But I, I know this, that when I was growing up, I, I lived in Dallas, Texas, you know, born in Whittier, moved to Fresno, Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, and then we were in Dallas, Texas, parents pastored a church there, and in that church, we had a prayer room in the back offices. And I remember this prayer room. I would go back there, and I would pray. Um, and, and I was back there, and I remember there was this poster on the wall, and it was a picture of a janitor. Okay, this was the poster in the prayer room. And the poster on the wall was a picture of a janitor with a mop in their hand. And he was praying and holding a mop. And the quote on the picture said, It is not the bending of the knee, but the bending of the heart that matters to God. And I never forgot that because it was something that taught me God is completely concerned, completely concerned with where our heart is in prayer. Not what we look like, not how we sound, not how good we think we are. God is completely concerned with our heart's position. Our hearts have evil in them. I don't know if you've read the Bible, <laughs> but it says our hearts are desperately wicked. Our hearts have evil in them. I don't, I, all of, 
from everybody here. They're, not one of us is perfect, including me, starting with me. <laughs> None of us are perfect. None of us are free from sin. We have this, this ugly, evil nature in our heart. And we must submit and intentionally humble our hearts to God daily. That's why prayer is so important. It positions us to say, Lord, you are Lord. You are good. You are perfect. I need you. Not you need me. (laughs) And that's how sometimes we pray, right? We're like, Lord, use me today. Why? (laughs) Does he really need you? No. God, use me to, to do this and do that. Wait a minute. How about you just say, Lord, I just want to know you. If I'm nobody, if, nothing, if my name is never put up in the, in the front, on the limelight, in the spotlight, if nothing ever happens with my name, that's fine, as long as your name is glorified because people need you. That is the position that God's asking us to pray from. Our hearts have evil in them. We must submit and intentionally humble our hearts to God daily. Not just for genuine repentance, but for reliance on God. We repent and we rely on God. In the book of Matthew, there's this area where Jesus teaches us even further. And and prayer, like I said, is such a huge subject. But there's one thing that I've seen consistently come up in a question when you're, you're learning about prayer. So I want to address it, but I want to read this to get us there. In Matthew 6, 5 through 15, we're reading NLT, New Living Translation. It says this, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. We already learned something there. That's a very big lesson. (laughs) The big lesson is if you're looking for everybody to look at you, you're not really in the right place. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. Let's stop right there. What does that mean? That means that we should actually have an intellectual ability to choose our words when we're praying. Like intentionally say something to God, asking, positioning ourselves, not saying random words that we heard. Don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. Then he says, they think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. Verse 9, pray like this, Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. And again, in my experience, I've seen more than one or two people get tripped up because there's a portion in here where Jesus teaches us in verse 7, they think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. So this can right away go to the setting of a church service. So for example, I say a similar prayer every time before the sermon. It's a similar prayer. 
You'll hear it over and over and over again. We do the benediction at the end of the service, which is the same prayer over and over and over again. So here we read in Scripture, he's saying, don't repeat, right? Okay? And I'm, you're confused right now, and it's like, whoa, wait, what? <laughs> it's good, it's good, it's good. Is repeating prayer wrong? That's the question that comes up. Can I repeat my prayers? I don't know. You tell me. No, I'm just kidding. We're going we're gonna to go there. This question has caused major concern for some. It really does. It causes some issue where it's like, man, well then, wh well, how, what do I do? What, I'm not a Christian anymore. My faith is gone. <laughs> they just give up. <laughs> just kidding. They don't do that. But we read further, and it gets, even, it gets even more like, what? Matthew 26, 36 through 46, NLT says this. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said, Peter, he said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Then he came to the disciples and said, go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. So let's be very, very clear. In verse 44, he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. This is good, huh? You're like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> Jesus taught us. He said in Matthew 6, in verse 7, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. In Matthew 26, verse 44, so he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Jesus said, don't repeat prayers. And then Jesus repeated a prayer. Repeating prayers is not the issue. Okay, the crux of this, repeating prayers, is not the issue. Repeating prayers with no genuine meaning is the issue. Because what happens is this, you can become trained. You can learn something in the church and have the right words that you think. You watched YouTube, right? You, you heard someone in the church, you're like, well, they said it, so, and that sounds good. I like that. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's good. And you throw it into your prayer, and it doesn't mean anything to you. You just think it sounds good for others to hear. And this is what Jesus was attacking. He was saying, don't do, don't do this. Don't make a show out of prayer. And then he goes, and he, said, and he says the same prayer three times. The same prayer. He was asking Make no mistake about it. Jesus was asking. He said, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Jesus was asking that he wouldn't have to go through the suffering. 
This, is, this teaches us that Jesus himself asked God. He asked of God. Okay? And he did it three times. Why does Jesus repeat when he told us not to repeat? Repetition is not a formula for answered prayer. Let me say that again. Repetition is not a formula for answered prayer. Somewhere along the way, someone might have said to you, just keep praying. And you think if you keep praying, God's going to answer it because you're praying. First off, that is not what prayer is. Prayer is submitting ourselves to God. It's not telling God what to do. We think, if I say it enough, God will do it. Name it and claim it. Lord, give me a Bentley. <laughs> it didn't work. Do it tomorrow. Give me a Bentley. <laughs> you know, that's not what prayer is. That's not even in the scripture. Okay? Jesus taught us that repetition is not a formula for answered prayer. He wanted us to know that prayer is not about the how. It's about the why. See, Jesus says this prayer three times. But he says it at the end, closing, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. See, the basis of our prayer should be prayer submits us to God's will. If we don't get that, if you don't understand that, if you leave today thinking that your prayers tell God what to do, you have completely missed what we're trying to teach you. We're trying to teach you Prayer submits us to God's will. He is in control. We are not. You know what happens when you try to control? It's a spirit of witchcraft. You're doing the opposite. God is saying, I'm in control. Let me lead you. And you're saying, well, I'm going to pray to tell God what to do. You're not being a Christian. You're not being a servant. You're not being a follower. A follower, a servant says, what do you want? I've said it before in the setting. Imagine we're in a large room, right? And there's a man on the throne, the king on the throne. And we stand in that room. None of us tell him what to do. We stand and we wait and we say, Lord, what do you want of us? What are you asking of us? We're here to please you. We're here to make you happy. This is prayer. Prayer submits us to God's will. Why do we pray? Because prayer submits us to God's will. Starting prayer with our Father has meaning. And we end it with amen. We end prayer with amen. Amen is a Hebrew word translated, literally means truly or so be it. There was a very ignorant thing that was done on national television with one of our political representatives. He got up on national television and he says, amen and all women too. Okay? First off, the ignorance, the level of ignorance that that man had was ridiculous. Because number one, amen means truly or so be it. It's a declaration to say, Lord, what we have asked is in your name. Whatever you say, we submit to it. Amen is also found in the Greek New Testament. It has the same meaning. So let me say it like this. I pray, I pray that you today will walk away with better understanding of what prayer is meant to do. 
It's meant to position us. It's not meant to control God. It's not meant to control God. It's, it's to say, Lord, I'm humbling my heart. I know I have my desires. I know I have my plans. I know I have my hopes, the things that I'm, I'm hoping will come to pass. But Lord, all of that is submitted to what you want. Oswald Chambers says this, prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. See, what's happened is we've treated prayer as the preliminary or the thing to get us positioned and to do what God wants us to do. But the reality is this, prayer is the thing God wants us to do. We think, I got to go pray to get ready to do what God wants me to do. And it's like, man, God just wants you to talk to him. You don't have to do anything. He's not asking you to go change the world right now. He's saying, I just want to talk to you. I just want to know you. Prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. Miles Monroe said this. <coughs> he said, let me define prayer for you. Prayer is man giving God permission or license to interfere in earth's affairs. In other words, Prayer is earthly license for heavenly interference. That's what we're doing in prayer. We're saying, God, please intervene. Please come in and, and deal, help me with all this that's going on. In our moments of, of chaos, in our moments of desperation, it's very easy to pray like that. But when things are going good and we're like, oh, man, all right, I'm going to buy this. This is going to happen. I'm going to get this. You know, we, we go to God with what I want from him. Like, give me this. Give me this. And the reality is this. We need to come and say, Lord, this is your whatever you want to do with it. My life is yours. Whatever, if you want to interfere with my life, go ahead. If you want to change direction, if you want to change course, if things need to change, if you want me to go this way instead of the way I thought I was supposed to go, then I'm giving you permission to help me understand that and to take the step that is necessary to do that. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, a Christian fellowship lives and exists by the intercession of its members for one another or it collapses. I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray, no, more to, no matter how much trouble he causes me. His face that hitherto it may have been strange and intolerable to me, is transformed in intercession into the countenance of a brother for whom Christ died, the face of a forgiven sinner. That, that's the thing. You know, we, even in the church, even in the church, we have issues. People get angry at each other. You know, things happen, you know, offense. But I, I love, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, a Christian fellowship, meaning us as community, the greater kingdom, the church as it is a whole. Christian fellowship lives and exists by the intercession of its members for one another or it collapses. R.C. Sprawl says this. And I'm going to ask uh, uh, Melvin, if you can come up. And, and Moises. Uh, prayer, R.C. Sprawl says this. Prayer does change things, all kinds of things. But the most important thing it changes is us. See, what, I, what I've shared with you today is nothing new. It's nothing new. 
Maybe it's been repackaged a little bit and presented in a different manner, but it is nothing new because prayer is the thing that positions us to say, Lord, I want your will in my life. Prayer submits us to God's will. This is what prayer is. And again, again, for those of us that have been uh, misunderstood or, or been taught incorrectly or even had an, a level of ignorance, thinking that if I pray this, it's going to happen. I do apologize if that was communicated to you in some way, okay? Because that is not accurate. Prayer is to say, Lord, what do you want? Lord, I'm asking for your leadership, for your guidance to teach me how to respond, how to act, how to intervene, if I should be quiet, if I should say something, if I should show them love, if I should pull away and just give them space. Lord, I don't know what to do, so I'm asking, what is your will in this situation? This is prayer. Prayer. 